Welcome to the show. We are kicking off self-care September, and I have a phenomenal guest to get us started. I want you to meet my friend, Carolina Ramirez. She is a phenomenal coach. She is a licensed clinical social worker. She is doing amazing things. She's a psychotherapist. Guys, she is doing things in the world of self-compassion, self-care for empowering parents to follow their intuition. All of us who are moms, especially those of us who are late identified, there's so many things that factor into why we haven't self-cared, why we don't yet have that level of self-compassion that leads to a healthy self-care practice. And Carolina and I are going to be talking about all of these things and more today. Hi, I'm Carol Jean, founder and host of Mind Your Autistic Brain talk show and community. And you're about to experience the new way to thrive in life and relationships as a late identified autistic by unveiling who you are, how you communicate, finding your self-care plan from the inside out, and being the authentic creator of your best life. Get ready, because this is where we go against the mainstream, say no to outdated society norms, and we say yes to who we are in order to create a joy-filled, balanced, and more neurodistinct world. Welcome to Mind Your Autistic Brain. Carolina, welcome to the show. I am so excited you're here. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be here. So I would love for you to share just a little bit about your story and your journey. I mean, you are part of this wonderful atypical moms group, and you are talking about how do I empower parents to follow their intuition? Because, you know, that's a big thing. It's like, I wouldn't always trust in my gut and my instincts as a mom. And I have two neurodistinct children. And, you know, most of the time I did, but there were times that I didn't. And I was listening to the quote unquote experts. And there were things that were just like, oh, I really should have just trusted my gut on that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that message is a message that a lot of moms get. So you're not alone in that. And it really took a lot of really going inward to really find that intuition within um, that we all have. Um, it, It takes a practice to really start listening to that quiet little voice inside of us. But I love to share my journey because it's really the reason behind the why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. And so I am a 40 year old mom of two uh, neurodistinct children. I am on the journey myself to looking into getting identified as autistic and um, just really, you know, learning as I go. And I really have to thank my son, who is now 10, for being a catalyst to that journey. Um, you know, he was born. And I was just ready. You know, I was a trained therapist. I had a master's degree. I worked with children all my life. I have tons of little cousins and family all around. And so I was like, I got this. Like, this is going to be so easy. You know, I I planned this pregnancy and I wanted to make sure I was ready. So I did all the things that you would think you would be prepared to become a parent. So he's born. 
Um, there were a few complications. He ended up being a cesarean. And, um, you know, it was just, it really changed my whole trajectory because I had a plan. I'm a planner. I like to get organized and think about what I do. Um, and as soon as that birth turned into a cesarean section, it, it changed uh, the plan that I had. And I started realizing that things weren't always going to go as I planned. And I needed to learn quickly how to roll with the punches. And it was hard for me to adjust to the changes because it, I was like, I wanted it to go how I expected it to go. Um, but we had a few difficulties with his feeding. Um, we needed to see a speech therapist from very early on. And um, just because he would um, almost... Uh, asphyxiate when he was drinking his milk. Um, he wasn't able to latch. And so there were just certain things that were going on that were very stressful for me at the time. And, you know, stressful for him too, as a little newborn. Um, but as time went on, we noticed that his speech was delayed. And um, I was a little, I felt guilty, you know, and we're going to touch on this on this mom guilt, because uh, as a trained therapist, I thought, well, I should have caught this, but it was more so the daycare that he was in um, that really pointed out, you know, we see that there are some delays in his speech, and we're also seeing some other repetitive behaviors and some meltdowns happening. And I was already working um, at, with children that are were autistic, but as many of you know, unless you're really in the life of an autistic person, you sometimes don't really know what that really means. And so I felt guilty when he did get a diagnosis at two and a half, because I, I was like, it was right under my eyes this whole time. And I didn't know I didn't see it. I didn't catch it. So I kept beating myself up for that. And like, you know, we are bombarded by the media and by, you know, people in my field, that when a person has a diagnosis of a developmental delay, the earlier you get services, you know, the better the outcome. And, and so all of that stuff was really bombarding my mind. And I just felt ridden with guilt and really just felt ill-equipped to raise a child of different needs and um, came a lot of grief with that because I think it was, you know, not necessarily the grief of having my child with a different um, needs, but more so like the expectations, right? So I had this whole, again, planned out life for the child, my firstborn. And now all of that has shifted and I wasn't really sure. It was like really uncertain for me. And that was really hard for me as a planner and as someone who likes to know what I'm getting into, the uncertainty was killing me. And so, but that was also my gift. That was the gift of where I had to start really digging in and um, looking for help in other therapy for myself, um, looking for mentors um, and people that really felt like they would align with what, what I feel called to do. And that's when that help came. And it showed me that it really didn't matter what the future was going to look like. What I had to really focus on is taking care of me and being well so that I can support my child in however he needed. So that was a really long answer, but. <laughs> no, I think that's a really important answer because it, it does speak to your why, but it also is so relatable. I mean, Carolina, I've been there. It's like, 
my plan did not go to plan. And now I'm having to figure it out. And like, it, it is, there is so much that comes up in your body, you know, the fear, because when something goes not to plan, then you have factors and variables. They're coming in and they're coming at you. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like they are coming at you real fast, hot and heavy. And you're like, okay, I got to process this because I had planned and prepared myself for this outcome. And that's not, it was happening in the moment. And for all of us out there with children, we know we learned the hard way. Nothing ever goes to plan. That's <laughs> correct. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I have learned to just embrace that. My plan was just an outline. It yes. was a suggestion. <laughs> it was just a guide. It, it, and sometimes not even that it allowed me just to like, maybe think this is what's going to happen, but then there's the gift in what actually does happen. Absolutely. Cause we can't plan for some of the amazing things that happen because we don't always have the ability to do that. And I love what you talked about because this kind of brings us to the heart of our conversation today. And that is the self-compassion piece that really comes before we can self-care, we have to feel that we are worthy. We have to know that we are worthy. We have to give ourselves permission because in late identified life for the majority of us, the world has said, you're weird, you're different, you're doing it wrong, quote unquote. Um, and all of those messages throughout our life create this internalized feeling that we have to, we end up for most of us becoming, you know, these maskers that become professional camouflagers and, you know, we're, we're people pleasing ourselves literally to death. Yes. And we don't take time to care for ourselves, but it starts with first knowing that we are worthy of it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the self-compassion piece and what I learned um, and I'm still learning because it's a practice. As I mentioned earlier, it's not going to happen just one time and it's not going to continuously happen unless you intentionally practice it. But what I've learned is that beating myself up wasn't getting me very far. It was actually doing the contradiction of getting me where I needed to to be. It was bringing me down more. Um, I was feeling depressed. Um, my anxiety was extremely high because I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to do things a certain way because of all the shoulds, right? All the shoulds that we grow up thinking that we need to do it this certain way. And I was neglecting what was working for me. And what I find a lot of in my practice and working with other parents um, and women is that we grow up being this good girl. We have to comply. We need to do as we're told, be seen and not heard. And you forget that you can speak up for your needs. And so in the journey of self-discovery and finding self-compassion for yourself is really trying to ask yourself the really hard questions. Like, where is this harsh critic coming from? Where is this judgment voice coming from? And I read a really great book. It's called The Untethered Soul. 
And he talks about how it's kind of like having an annoying roommate and the roommate is yapping in your head. Da, 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 da. And like, what would you say to that roommate? And it's so true. And, you know, we do that constantly to ourselves. Sometimes we don't really notice it, but we're constantly putting ourselves down when we're being really critical of ourselves and really judgmental. So it's about realizing that kind of like stepping out of yourself, almost like in a meditation way, stepping out of yourself and becoming the observer and really observe the thoughts that are coming to you. And are they kind? And if they're not kind, let's stop those voices and say, no, we're not going to do this anymore. Because in reality, that's actually holding you back. That's going to make you feel worse about yourself. And I think because we have this um, expectation in our society to be so productive. We think like, oh, you know, the tougher I am on someone, the tougher I am on myself, the more I'm going to get done. But research shows it's actually the opposite. So the more self-compassion that you can tell yourself, you know, whether you use words like I'm doing the best I can, I can do, you know, only two tasks for the remainder of this day, you know, just being realistic with yourself and that actually frees you up to actually get those things done in a way that doesn't make you feel bad about yourself. And then you actually realize like, oh, wow, that really worked instead of like beating myself up for all the things that I didn't get done today. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. Yes. And you know, my friend Robert and I recently on the, on the show a few weeks back talked about this and it's, um, I think he referred to it as someone had explained it as it's like uh, the radio that's constantly playing. It's the radio station in your head. Right. But what was kind of interesting, and this was something that, that really made me think about it because I have an internal monologue. She is constantly talking to me, but it was interesting when we're talking about that inner critic, I think that's a really big part of sort of where we start to identify because when we reflect, then we become aware. And when we're aware of something that awareness alone has already created a shift. And it's not like we have to do a whole lot of things from there. Just the knowledge itself sometimes is the catalyst that then changes the trajectory. And one of those things when it came to that internal monologue was that inner critic, was it my voice or was it someone else's voice? Like, was it my mom? Was it my teacher? You know, was it something someone said along the way that I onboarded because somehow I agreed that what they said was true, rather most of the time it's subconscious. And then that's what I've been hearing for 30 years, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like that's a big one. Yeah, that's big. You know, a lot of us don't even realize that, but what you said is so true. It's usually something that was said to us by a parent, an educator, um, even a peer or an extended family member that really sticks with us, you know? Um, and I remember one of my mentors now who is helping me work through my stuff. Um, he says to me, he's like, you know, when you're failing at something, you know, what is it that you tell yourself? And I was being honest and real. I'm like, I'm just really upset that I can't do this. Like, I'm really upset with myself. And he said, well, why are you upset with yourself? Where does that come from? And I was like, well, because as a child, you know, if I made a mistake, I was punished harshly for that. 
for mistakes, you know, errors. And I am now starting to unlearn to not do that. And so, you know, the inner voice comes in and I can hear kind of like my parents yelling at me for doing something wrong or not getting a good enough grade, even though I was a smart student. I was pretty much in honors classes all my life, but they wanted more. Um, and so, you know, really identifying where that comes from is key because then you can release it. You can release it. And again, most of us come from homes that our parents did the best they could. And so it's not about blaming or shaming, but it's about realizing that I no longer have to carry this. And I am now in control of my life and how I want to shape my life. And so I'm going to release this. And like you said, just becoming aware is so impactful. Just, just the awareness of it is so impactful. It is. And, you know, I want to go back just a little bit because you, you brought up sort of a big component of where we start in this self-compassion journey leading to self-care. And that is all of the societal norms that we onboard, you know, being the good girl and, you know, shooting ourselves to death, essentially, <laughs> you know, by big, big, you guys hear me say it all the time. You don't have to. I spent my entire life for four decades, 40 years of my life thinking I had to do all of these things because somebody said I was required to. That was what I was supposed to be doing. Right. And there's so many elements to that, you know, not just as moms, not just as, you know, women in the world, you know, but you're a Latina woman. So, you know, you and I've talked about that there were some other factors that came in that you experienced that made that even harder sometimes to navigate. What are some of those aspects? Cause we've, we've got a lot of Latina listeners here. We want to, we want to talk about that. This is an important part of the conversation. Yeah. I'd love to touch on that. So, yeah, I think growing up in a Latino household in the Latino community, you are really working as a family unit. So the individual needs are pushed to the side many times. So any decisions that you make have to benefit the family. And if they don't benefit the family, you're being selfish. And you also have to comply. Even if you're not in agreement with decisions that are being made or things that are going on, it doesn't matter. You have to comply because you have to seem respectful. You know, respect is a big, big thing in the Latino community. And in my perspective, where that comes from is from communities of color being colonized and having to endure the um, effects of being enslaved by others and having to do what they were forced to do. And in the Latino communities, a lot of this colonized thinking has been perpetuated through the generations. And we have to really become self-aware that yes, I want to help my family and I want to be there for my family, but there are certain things that I will need to now do for myself and that I have to figure out what works for me and what doesn't work for me anymore. And, and that's, that can be really hard because there is still a very strong um, hold on those cultural values of like sticking together, 
do what's best for the family because it was a survival, you know, it was a matter of survival. Um, that's how families were able to, you know, to survive through those really harsh times. And, you know, and after the coloniza the colonization ended, um, you know, a lot of dictators rose up into the Latin American countries that the Latinos come from. And so you have these, um, you know, ways, uh, and, and I love, um, I'm, I'm can't remember her name, but she has a, a, a page on Instagram called Latinx Parenting. And I love her content. And she's talking about all the time about how we have to break those generational cycles that were passed down because the mindset was very, um, you know, punish your children harshly because that's how for generations our people were treated. And so instead of revering the child and having a mutual respect for the child, it was very, um, you listen to me, and this can be true for many cultures too, but listen to me, I'm the elder, respect me, regardless of how you feel or what you think. And so as Latin X people in our communities, we have to start to come back to our indigenous ways of having mutually respectful relationships with our children and knowing that everyone is indiv an individual and unique and has needs that are individual to that person. And, you know, and if it's not hurting the family, then it's okay. But even in my household now, you know, um, we're very big on family. And I love that. There's a lot of good things about that. I love how we get together every Sunday and have dinners. I love how we do parties and it's fun and we dance and it's, it's a really good thing. Um, but then there are times where, you know, I need to stay home or I just don't want to do those things. And then they come in and they're like, Oh, why are you staying home? Like, come on, you ain't got nothing to do. And I'm like, um, but I want to rest, <laughs> you know, rest is really important to me. So it's like learning how to find a balance, right. And also setting boundaries is really important because they do start to feel like they can make decisions for you because that's how it's always been. And so really looking at, um, what are the things that are beneficial that you can continue to, you know, partake in in your family? And what are some things that you need to now start standing up and creating some clear boundaries and crossing the line here? Like, this is where we stop. Oh, man, you, you bring up so many, so many things Like my, my brain is going in like 100 miles an hour. I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, Carolina, those are, those are insightful things, you know, growing up in a very traditional Southern culture, it was a similar thing. It's like, do what you're told, be seen and not heard. You do everything for the family. You don't do anything that goes against it, you know? Um, and I think, you know, and there's layers in there that I didn't experience. So I, I loved hearing about that because it really does go back to what do we believe and what, how has that influenced our self-compassion, our internal thought system? You know, if we were brought up in a culture that says your needs are secondary to the group and everyone else comes before you, yeah. then you, you live your life that way. And that 
is the surefire way to stay in burnout. That is the surefire way to stay in a deficit of needs being met. Once we've sort of like this conversation just might be really opening up some things for somebody today. You know, this is, we, we've just gotten to some part of some, some pretty deep things. Yeah. What, what do you feel and how do you help your clients and your, you know, I, I know what I do, but I, I always love hearing what other people do. How do you, once, once we have this awareness now that, oh, wow, I've, I, because maybe how I grew up or, or just the world and how I responded to it, I don't put myself first. I came second to everything. What's the next step? Where do we start moving into self-compassion from that awareness? Yeah, I think um, it's multi-step. So um, a lot of what you're bringing up is exactly what we need to do. Just bring up the awareness within ourselves that our needs were secondary to the family needs. And so figuring out what boundaries you need to place within your own family unit and also your extended family or friends or, you know, coworkers. And so, and realizing that it's also okay to say no, because I think a lot of us have a hard time just saying no and telling yourself it's okay to say no. And, you know, you can always say, I appreciate the invitation, but I'm going to have to sit this one out, you know, love to join you next time. And so it really is a matter of picking up some skills as to how can you respond? Because I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. It's like, how do I say no? So figure out some ways. And there's so many good resources on boundaries, um, podcasts, books, and I'm telling you, it, it works because it, it, we're not alone in not being able to learn how to say no. So identifying that it's okay to have needs identifying that it's okay to set boundaries and then also um, allowing yourself to be uncomfortable with that because that brings up, like you said, a lot of deep wounds that we have a hard time facing, but I feel so guilty saying no to my mom. I feel so bad. You know, she needs me right now. But if you are overextending yourself, you are your own person, you have your own family, you have so much on your plate, you are going to continue to become resentful of not speaking up for yourself. And so you have to allow yourself to be okay with that uncomfortableness, right? And that's where the self-compassion is. This is really hard for me. I, I really don't like saying no, it's very uncomfortable. But I also know that if I say yes, then that means that I'm saying no to me. And it's about learning how to do that. And it, it takes baby steps sometimes. So you can start practicing it sometimes with people who are like less close to you, if that feels easier. Um, but if it's coworkers or friends practice there, um, you know, and again, in the context of like cultural, I know that it's really hard for us to say no to our own parents or, you know, um, family members. So I say, start where you feel is easiest and then start building up your confidence there. And um, one of the things that is kind of crazy, but I feel like the pandemic helped 
in helping us to set boundaries and, and realizing, you know, some of us did struggle with being alone and some of us thrived. They were like, wow, like I have so much time now. Like I don't have all these commitments, you know, I can like just do what I needed to do. And, and for me, that was the case. I needed to have go through the experience of being quarantined to realize how much time I was giving away that I could have been using for myself. And really it starts with identifying also like what it is that you want to accomplish in this world and in this life. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to do more for our community. And so, but I also was allowing other people's agendas to take away from my time to dedicate to what I needed to do. And it wasn't until I realized that we were quarantined and I had a little bit more time. I was exhausted because we were home with the kids, but I realized I'm like, oh, well, I can actually start writing out a plan for this. And I can actually, I don't have, you know, all of these, you know, events to go to. So, you know, but it was really eye-opening. And so that's where it comes in. Um, and, and again, with allowing yourself to be uncomfortable with it, because it is hard. And you feel bad, you know, just like if you place a boundary on your child, you know, as I'm a parent coach. And so I, I talk a lot with parents about like, you know, I know that you want to give her the third ice cream cookie, but you know that it's going to probably hurt her stomach. And, you know, it's hard to say no, because they're begging, begging, begging. But you know that if you say yes, it's actually going to make the outcome worse. So you have to really be okay with and knowing that she, your child, he or she is going to melt down and be okay with that and just breathe through it. You know, I tell my, my clients, I'm like, sometimes we just forget to breathe and breathing is so powerful. It just grounds us and brings us back to, I can do this. I can get through this. Oh, I absolutely. You know, breathing is a big part of it. And that's one of the things that, that I use as a tool in my everyday life. And when I teach clients, you know, I, I want to touch on a, a layer of what you said. It's, you know, embracing and practicing your no. And one of the things that really helped me with that, because I was people pleasing myself to death. I didn't want to tell anybody. No, I didn't. That was not in my vocabulary. And there's some layers in that one too, but I had to ask myself, what is possible for me? If I say no, what does it give me? What am I gaining? What is possible? And then the other question is, what is it going to cost me, right? What do I gain? What do I gain? But what is it going to cost me if I say yes? We have to look at that. You know, what, it, what am I gaining by saying no? What do I, you know, if you're good, your intuition is saying, mm -mm, nope. But then there's this other part of you that starts kicking in. It's the guilt and the shame. And really the guilt and the shame is what we recognize, but what's underlying to that guilt and that shame is what am I afraid of? Do I feel guilty? Do I feel ashamed? Because really I'm afraid that I'm not lovable, or I'm afraid that that person's going to leave me and not value, not love me anymore. Am I afraid that I'm not being a really good mom and everybody else is talking about it? You know, that's, it's those fears that, that are truly underneath that when you start to identify them, the guilt and the shame is just what's easier to recognize sometimes. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Woof. Goosebumps because that is so true. And, um, most of our 
decisions are fear-based, you know, and I think as humans, um, we know we are wired for connection and we want to be connected and social isolation at one point meant death, right? Like you weren't able to survive without the pack. And so it's really difficult as a human person to say no, because you do feel you're fearing that you're going to be isolated from the group or no longer included. Right. And I think that's all that we always strive for is just belonging, right. Inclusion. Um, And that's important, but at the same time, like you said, if I'm saying yes to everything and don't know how to say no, even though when I know that that's going to be detrimental to my well-being, you know, because sometimes you don't even have to have anything to do to say no. You know, a lot of my clients are like, well, you know, but I'm, I'm free, so I should say yes, right? I'm like, no, like even if you want to just veg out on the couch, you know, scroll through your Instagram, whatever it is that you want to do, that's important too. Like it's, it, and I love Nedra Tawab. She's a therapist. Also. Oh, I love she, her. She is amazing. She and is. I listened to her on podcasts and she says, um, you know, if you're only doing things for yourself after you've done X, Y, and Z on your to-do list or have done things for others, then that's not really self-care. That's called aftercare. And I was like, boom, that is Oh, so I know impactful. that would hit me hard. Yes, too. <laughs> yes, that is so true. So we have to learn to set those boundaries and, 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 and acknowledge the fear, you know, and say, okay, so where, like you said, where does this come from? Where is this coming from? And, and noticing that it is because we were brought up that we need to be a good girl. We need to say yes. We need to help others. And, and we do those things. But there are times that we can also say no, and that it's okay. And you know what, the person who's really going to stay in your life and values you for the person that you are, they might feel a little, you know, upset a little bit if you're placing a boundary, but they're ultimately going to understand because everyone is going through this, right? We're not alone. Um, everyone's going through this. So, and they may even learn a thing or two from you by you being able to stand up for yourself and making that boundary and creating that time in your day to take care of yourself. Um, instead of doing it, like after you do everything else, because then you're just tired and you're just like, I'm just going to melt down into the floor. Oh, that is so true. That is so true. So number one, guys, it is not after care that we're seeking here. We're seeking self-care. We're seeking this as part of how we love and extend self-compassion to ourselves. We're looking at this from a place of, this was a big one too. How can anyone respect your yes if they never hear you say no? Oh, yes. I love that. Yes. Oh, my mentor, Jim, taught me that. And I'm telling you that changed my life. It stopped me cold in my tracks when he asked me that question. Holy cow, it was a big one. So, Carolina, as as we've kind of really dug in, I mean, we gave you guys some pretty deep stuff here on self-compassion. It's sort of shifting to be aware of these things. Let's talk about the self-care aspect. Yes. Because we, we don't want to aftercare. 
right? We actually want to do some some preemptive and intentional self-care within our life. Number one, folks, is letting go of the productivity mindset that if you have free time, you should be feeling it, that you cannot, quote unquote, idle hands, right? That was what I grew up with. Oh, you, you know, you can't, that's lazy. You can't, you've got to be, pro, quote unquote, productive. You have to fill all your time with stuff to do. No, yeah. no, <laughs> no. So what, what does self-care look like for you? What is yeah. that in your life? Yeah. And I want to touch on something. And before we go into that, because you mentioned in the beginning about worth, right? We have to understand that we have a birthright of being worthy as we are, regardless of what we produce, right? And because we are in the society that values productivity so much, we do forget that. But you are inherently worthy just as you are without having to produce, right? And so by reminding yourself of that, it allows you to take space without having to do anything. And that rest is actually productive because you can't go, 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 because that will lead to burnout. Rest is actually productive. And it's actually where our passions start is when you start really leaning in into that rest and figuring out what really in actually in actuality lights you up, what lights you up, what brings you joy, you know, and if you're constantly doing, doing, and, and honestly, a lot of people in our society are constantly doing, 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 because they don't want to sit with that uncomfortableness of figuring out what really brings me joy, what really makes me happy. Okay. So that's, wanted to make sure that was out there, but self-care. You know, I, wait, I want to hang on for a second. Okay. That's big. That's big. Yes. Like guys, I think you just got like the number one nugget to start with on self-care is sitting with the uncomfortable feelings and starting to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. Absolutely. That's a big one. You even talk about that in your work. Yes. Sitting with the uncomfortable. Yes. Oh, I mean, Carolina, that's yeah. a big one. I mean, we, we yeah, gotta just like, we gotta hit pause huge. on that yes. for a sec. So I, I really how much do we do to avoid just sitting with the fact that that doesn't feel good in my body. And that actually is your, your internal, your okay. internal gut, your internal yeah. tuition telling you something isn't working in an alignment with your life. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's, because we've been told all our life what we should be doing. And like you said, if you're just sitting there, you know, doing nothing, you're being lazy. You know, growing up in my house, we had to get up at like four or five in the morning just to clean the house before we left school. And it was like, we have to always do, do, do. And so we get used to that. Um, but what that does is that like, if you realize the things that you're doing, you're usually doing it to uphold some type of perception of yourself to others. Oh, what are others going to think of me? Like, you know, I have to make sure this house is tidy. I can't, it can't be messy. Or, you know, I have to make sure that I'm cooking because what, what are people going to think of me if I'm just getting, you know, fast food for the kids. And so we kind of have to let go of all that and just allow ourselves to be okay with like, you know what? Someone might, might talk some trash about me right now, but I don't care. And there's a saying, and I, I'm not going to 
say it correctly in English because it's in Spanish, but it's basically like let other people's comments just slide off of you. Like just imagine them just sliding off of you because we do a lot of things because of what we think we should be doing by other people's standards. And we just have to let that go. I know it's, it's, it's not easy to do. It's easier said than done, but um, that's definitely part of it. And, you know, learning to have that time to yourself, you know, um, sometimes we do need to just sit out and veg on the couch or scroll through our Instagram, watch something on Netflix, but sometimes it really does require us to stop everything and just really reflect on our day. You know, I like to ask ask myself, you know, did I do anything today that made me happy? Did I do anything today that, you know, helped me learn something in what I like to learn about? You know, I'm a therapist. I've always been inclined to learn more about personal development and growth. That's always been my thing. You know, people who inspire me are people like Oprah and, you know, Gabby Bernstein, other spiritual teachers. Um, And so that has always intrigued me. So, you know, for me, that's what really started to help me realize that self-care for me has to be very individualized and specific to what actually recharges me because I was doing other things at times because I thought, oh, well, this is self-care. Let me go, you know, get my nails done or get a manicure or pedicure. Let me go get my hair done. And in actuality, those things are nice, but there were times where I was just like drained after I came home from doing that because then I'd have to have a conversation with other people or like the manicurist or the pedicurist. And sometimes I just wanted to be quiet, have quiet time, you know? Um, so it's a matter of really realizing what is it that I need right now? And sometimes that means I need to just sit in quiet and just think about what I want to do for the next year and how I want to plan out some fun things. And sometimes that means I journal um, just to kind of like really reflect and just ask myself where some of these, you know, inner critics are coming from, or, you know, sometimes just having a conversation with myself. I know that sounds kind of silly, but I've done that where I journal, just like having a conversation with myself regarding like a situation that I'm going through and what I would tell myself, because that kind of helps to clarify things for me. Um, and so, you know, it's really individual to the person and unique. So you really have to figure out and it takes time for you to get quiet and to kind of really reflect and see what helps you to actually feel better. Because if you're not feeling better after the self-care activity that you're doing, then it's not self-care. I love that. That is such a great insight. You know, I think what I heard you saying and what I was picking up on is that, you know, you value learning, like that's a value that you have and you translate that value into self-care by reading books or listening to a podcast. And those are the things that pour into you and actually energize you and give you the things that you're looking for because they're in alignment with your values. So that in itself is the self-care for you. Yeah. And sometimes it's twerking to some Beyonce because I love dancing. Hey, that is definitely <laughs> one too. That is, that is what I call kinetic, 
kinetic rest. So you guys, this is such a wonderful conversation. And Carolina has shared so many insights and we're going to do one thing before we go today. She has a phenomenal self-compassion guide that you can download on her website. And it has an exercise for self-compassion. And Carolina is going to talk us through that so that we can practice a self-care, self-compassion exercise, which is also self-care. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. So what I would like to um, share and have everyone do if you're comfortable and if you're not driving or, you know, you're in a safe place is to close your eyes and take two to three deep breaths. So usually I do three breaths in and I hold it at the top and four breaths out. So typically we want the exhale longer than the inhale. So take another deep breath. And place your left hand over your heart and your right hand over your left hand. And as you breathe normally, just feel your heartbeat. And visualize a warm golden light just shining and warming your space. So you take those deep breaths and allow yourself to say any affirmation that comes up for you. I like to do this exercise typically if I'm going through a difficult situation or a hard time or I'm just having lots of anxiety. And I sit with my heart, feeling the heartbeat. And I say to myself, I'm doing the best I can. And that is enough. I am enough. I am worthy. I'm worthy of all the things that make me happy. I'm worthy to take up space. I'm worthy for being here. I'm worthy of this present moment. I'm loved. And I am here. And then you can open your eyes and give yourself a big hug if you want to, if you feel comfortable with that. And just really ground yourself in that moment. Oh, that was so beautiful. That felt really good. I I think that is just one of the best things that we can give ourselves every day. And if you just did that with us, you just took the first step in self-compassion and self-care. If you'd like to connect with Carolina Ramirez and learn more about her coaching offerings, check out the show notes below. Make sure you go get your self-compassion guide. And she also has some fantastic coaching options for parents. And she has something called Mama Self-Care Roadmap. So make sure you check that out. Saying yes to yourself and practicing self-care every day is a vital part of staying out of burnout. And remember, Those seven areas of rest that I teach are available on Autastic. Thanks so much for being here today. Tune in next week for another episode of Self-Care September. 
If you are someone who likes to help people and share what has made a difference in your life, please share this talk show with a friend and on your social media accounts so that you can be the blessing in another late identified autistic's life. Be sure to tag me at Social Audi so I can personally say thank you. And to help keep the talk show ad-free, please consider becoming a one-time or recurring supporter through either Buy Me a Coffee or the Anchor Podcast links in the show notes below. I truly appreciate your support. Thank you for being a listener and thank you for adding your voice to our story.